Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. So for the message today, we're going to be jumping back uh, into the cruise ship to battleship series. I said in the beginning of the year that we would go kind of back and forth throughout the year. Uh, because really the preparation that we're talking about, uh, it's a lifelong preparation. But I don't want to do it all just in one, in, in, uh, in one long, long series, but we'll do little breaks. But we're going to keep coming back to it and addressing the heart changes that, need to, to, that we need to make to become that kind of church. Uh, because it's more than just, you know, a one-time get up and say, hey, we can't come here for entertainment. Uh, we actually are here to worship the Lord, to meet with the Lord, and then to go out and do His work within our lives. Uh, we can say that, but we need to hear it over and over again, and we also need to know how to do it. Amen? So that's what we're going to be focusing on, and uh, t- today we're going to focus a little bit, we're going to take a step backwards, uh, because we know our mission statement is to love God, love people, be disciple, to make disciples, but we're going to take a step back on what makes that possible? How do we actually get to that place where that becomes the goal of all believers' uh, lives? And that's what we're going to do. So let's read this together coming up on the screen. There it is. You guys ready to read the word together? We're going to start with the first chunk, take a break, and then we'll read the second. So the first one is the Great Commission. So let's read it together in three, two, one. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That last line, does that not just grab your heart? Some yes, some no. You know what? If not, ask the Lord to grab your heart with that. I just, that is the part that I just love by far the most. I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the part that I'm looking forward to in eternity, being with him always for eternity. So uh, let's read now the great command together. Three, two, one. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. All right. This is our mission statement, right? We talk about love God, love people, be disciples, make disciples. Um, But I just want to be clear Sometimes we talk about our mission statement. It sounds like this is Southland's mission statement, like we came up with it. This is Jesus' mission statement to his people worldwide. So when we're engaging it, we just kind of adopt it into that we put Southland first. But it's not our mission statement. It's his mission statement. It's his commission to us. Um, And that's an important thing for us to understand. But today we're going to look at the key to fulfilling those two commands the Great Command and the Great Commission. There is a key that we actually have to get. I know, does, that, does it sound kind of epic that I can give you the key to making this work? I was really excited about putting it in there. I was hoping some of you would really lean in when I said the key. You're like, the key. Uh, it made me think of uh, years ago, um, I was just looking for, like I was looking for this 12-step, 10-step. I wanted a program to help people go from A to Z right? And I'm trying to think of what, what this program is going to be like. And I kept pleading with the Lord, pleading with the Lord, pleading with the Lord. And finally, one day I come across Romans 7. And, and if you're familiar with Romans 7, then great. If not, that's where Paul's talking about, I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do, and I do that. 
And he goes on to explain that, that there is sin that dwells within him that, can, that draws him. There's this battle that's waging between his spirit and his flesh. And then at the end, he says, thank God I found the answer. And I remember I had been praying for months and I read that and I'm like, oh, the answer. This is the thing I've been looking for, the 10-step answer. And he says, it's Jesus Christ. And I actually felt let down. Isn't that terrible? I actually felt let down. I'm like, oh, the Sunday school answer. Oh, I wanted, I wanted the real answer. You can see the war that is inside of us and sometimes the misconceptions that we have uh, that we think that that would be a Sunday school answer. Look at this. Deuteronomy says this. Uh, for this is the commandment that I command you today. It is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Interesting, because that echoes 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So apparently what's interesting is throughout Old and New Testament, often we talk about the law or the commandments, and people feel this weight. Like it's the weight of the law. And, and for some reason, we find both in the Old and New Testament that it's not supposed to be a weight. It's not supposed to be a weight. It's not supposed to be burdensome. So why is it that, that these verses seem to go in one ear and out the other? I think it's probably because our experience doesn't line up with them. Right? So sometimes your experience doesn't line up and you read it and you just kind of dismiss it. You almost don't even read it and you go past to the next verse. Because we know better. But I would challenge this that Jesus will never be wrong. And what he says in his word is always true. So today we're going to talk about the reason for this, right? So I'll begin by setting the stage a little bit. And we're going to give a silly example. So suppose I was a life coach. How many of you would sign up for me as a life coach? Don't, don't wait, don't answer. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to feel good about myself. I'll imagine later when I ask that question, just a flood of hands, double hands like this. It was very, very uplifting. Uh, but anyway, so suppose I was this life coach and I offered to, to give you the, you know, uh, I am going to make your life better. I'm like, okay. So you sit down with me and I begin to talk. Okay, the key, the key to a better life, the key to a better life is great sacrifice and hard work. I am going to, so I'm actually going to put you in a relationship with somebody else and, and they are going to basically rule over you. And you will no longer be able to make decisions on your own. So this is the I'm a life coach. I'm going to make your life better. So you can't make your own decisions. You've got to run them through this other person. They will decide whether you can or cannot do what you want to do. Sound good so far? This is the key. I'm going to, life, I'm going to make your life better. So this is going to cost you finances. Yeah, you work hard for your money. Yeah, I totally get that. It's no longer going to be yours. It'll be theirs and yours. Your time, no longer yours. Yeah, you can't have your time anymore. Your, your time, your free time, those hobbies that you had, those hobbies that you have, I should say, those things you love to do, you're going to have to give some of them up. You might even give all of them up. You're going to have to cut the time in half of what you're spending on them. You're going to find that sometimes you don't get along with this person at all. You won't get along with them at all, and they might even hurt you, but you will have to forgive. You will forgive them whether they make it right or not. Sound like a good thing to sign up for? And if you do anything wrong, you are going to make it right to the very best of your ability. If they do something wrong, you're going to forgive even if they don't make it right. 
You guys don't sound excited about me as a life coach. I'm signing up. This is, I said it was for great sacrifice. You're going to have a better life with great sacrifice and hard work. We're missing something. Okay, let's add another component. So right there, you guys didn't really seem like you're, you're tracking too well. You're not wanting me to give you uh, coaching, life coaching advice yet. Okay, so what if I say, all right, I want to make your life better. Okay, no, I'm, there is a future reward. If you follow my advice, it's going to take great sacrifice and it's going to take hard work, but if you follow my advice, one day later on, one day later on, you will find fulfillment and joy in your life. Now any of you interested? Still kind of uneasy, right? I thought maybe some of you would be a little more interested. Sometimes, you know, I don't like the way my life is going, so maybe for the promise of a futuristic fulfillment and joy, I might be motivated by that. So what are we talking about here? What kind of what kind of life coaching am I actually giving here? What kind of things in life would have this list of things that you'd have to sacrifice for and do hard work in? Marriage. I love you, hon. My wife is here. Marriage. I'm talking about marriage. That's what we're talking about. This is what marriage is. You're no longer your own. The two become one. You don't get to make your decisions on your own anymore. If some of this list was a shock to you and you're married, <laughs> go back to the notes. I have them on the web. Write them down and learn these notes. This is the sacrifice and hard work that's part of marriage. Now, you might be listening here and you're thinking, but there's more to it than that, right? My son is actually getting married. Do you guys know that? Some of you know that, some of you did not. He's getting married to Luella Friesen. So I don't know if they're in here. They'll probably be at the next service. But they are getting married. I don't know. Like, when they hear this, are they going to be pumped about that life coaching advice I'm giving? They probably, it's in one ear and out the other ear is probably what it is, right? Because they, ha they know something that I didn't get to in here yet, right? We know that what I'm saying, if you're married, you know that what I'm saying is true, but you also know that it's not the complete truth. It's not the complete truth, is it? Right? I'm missing a big chunk of it. Well, we've looked at two scenarios so far. There's, these are the keys to great sacrifice and hard, hard work, right? We're going to look at three, actually, but first, we'll start with two. Sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice. Doing hard things for the sake of doing hard things is basically impossible, unless you are a glutton for punishment. There are some of you, maybe one or two of you in this room right now, that just like to do hard things for the sake of doing hard things. Okay? But for the most part, when we sign up, when we look at the hard work and sacrifice, right? If, if we're just doing it for the sake of doing the hard work, if we actually don't know why we're doing it, the why that drives us, you will find that maybe you can start but most of you won't even start, because why would you? You know, you think of, you know, I love squatting, right? I, which, which now you know. I love it. I absolutely love it. There's something about heavy weight, when you're in the pit, we call it the hole, you're in the hole, and your whole body's screaming, you can't think about anything else, and it hurts, and it burns, and I'm, I have lots of injuries because of my love for squatting, that's fine, but it hurts, but it's for the thing I love, it's my passion, so it's worth it, and you explode out of the hole, and it's just the most alive feeling that you could ever have. But I know why I'm feeling it. But when you wake up in the morning and you just hurt all over, I don't feel the same joy about that pain, even though it's relatively similar. Because I don't know why it's there, I'm like, oh, right? Okay, so that's the first one. It's impossible. The second one is, and this is often where we, we end up in our uh, Christian walks, a sacrifice for the sake of a reward alone. When we look at this kind of, I, I think this makes it possible, more people will sign up for sacrifice and hard work for, the, for a futuristic reward uh, than, than the first one for sure. Absolutely, yes. But even here, I don't think it's entirely enough. 
It might be enough in the beginning, depending on how hard the work is and how big the reward is, it might be enough in the beginning. But think about a New Year's resolution. I don't know what the percentage is. I should have looked online, but what, how many New Year's resolutions fail? Most of them? I remember when I used to go to the, the gym, January 1st would kind of hit, and the gym would be just packed. I bet they always sold, like, give special deals on year-long memberships in January. Why? Because most of those that sign up for a year-long membership last for two weeks, right? It's two weeks. They last two weeks in, and suddenly, like, the first two weeks, you can't find a machine. It's like, basically, those who are always at the gym take two weeks off, and then you come back, and it's just like normal. There might be one or two extra from the 300 that joined. Right? You have this futuristic reward. It's, yeah, okay, I want to be in better shape. I want to be healthier. Okay, yeah, one day. But it takes work to get there. So more people will sign up for sacrifice with reward. They will. But I don't think that is even enough. Right? It's not enough. When we're motivated and led by our hearts. And that's something we have to understand. There is something inside of us. There are appetites, and we'll get into this further in some of the other messages, because today I'm just laying a foundation. This is all about foundations today of the direction we need to go, and then we're really going to unpack it in the weeks to come. Um, but there are appetites and desires inside of us that I believe many are God-given, although they get warped in our sinful nature, that drive the things that we do. And so it's hard to push ourselves to do something difficult and to go through hardship and to persevere and endure if we haven't first started with the heart. So, back to the marriage pictures. I've, I've already talked about, you know, I've, I've talked to my son about the, the hard work of marriage. You know what else I've talked to him about? The incredible joy that you can experience in marriage. There is a oneness and a unity and a joy and an intimacy that is unparalleled, in my opinion, on this earth, in relationships. It's wonderful. It's a God-given gift. So it's a gift, right? But with that potential for amazing intimacy and joy, there is also the requirement to put in lots of work. And there's also the potential for great pain. There is. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be difficulty going along. But you know what I've found when I've tried to talk to him about, you know, the joys and difficulties of marriage? When I get to the hard work part, uh, you know what happens? His eyes get this glossy kind of look. And it's like he's looking at me, pretending he's listening, but he's thinking about something else. Weird, right? I talked to Chris Carr about this, and he actually says in pre-marriage, this same phenomena happens to him when they start trying to talk to people about the work that's needed to, to keep a marriage healthy. So they talk about the sacrifice and preparing for marriage and getting it going, and he said it's like they feel like they don't even need to hear any of this. Why is that? Because all they can think about is the object of their desire. They're passionate and in love. And my son's like, yeah, I love Luella. I love her. Like, of course it's going to be work. Of course there's going to be sacrifice. Now, there's probably a little bit of naivety in there, right? But of course it's going to be work. He's not dreading the work. He's longing for the work. Because the work is part of the, the promise of those two coming together and being a couple like this in marriage. Following me? By the way, I do hope Luella gets embarrassed. Is she in here? <laughs> if you're going to join the family, you've got to get used to it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Anyways, so because he loves her. So first love. First love 
is the thing that actually empowers him and will empower them to be able to go through hard things. Now, does it make hard things easy? No, not necessarily easy. Just like I, I shared my love of squatting, loving squatting doesn't make it easy. It just drives me to continue doing it despite it being hard. Does that make sense? You see the difference here? Because it's coming from a passion inside, something I love, something that feeds something inside of me. <laughs> Maybe it's a little bit unhealthy with that, but that's okay. With the love thing, it's not necessarily unhealthy. It's a good thing. So first, love motivates. So they're going to sacrifice big things, all those things I talked about, free time, relationships. Think about it. When you get married, your relationships change. Ours did. Right? You get different friends. Your money changes, like how you spend your time, your likes I suddenly, like, when, when I got married, well, before I got married, uh, we spent, Louise was, by the way, the first um, person that I met that actually kept me quiet. I was, I didn't know what to say. I was speechless. Right. You might think, that happened in your life? Yeah, it actually did. For, like, three months almost, like, or at least a couple of months. The first couple of months, I, I almost didn't know what to say when I was around her. I just was enamored with her. By the way, she pursued me first, though. Just, just kidding. Sorry, just bugging her. She's in here. I won't do this in 11 o'clock. Anyways, you know what we spent, I don't know, the first couple of weeks doing anyhow in my speechlessness? Watching Disney movies on the couch. That literally happened. Do you think I was the kind of guy, this is, by the way, before I knew the Lord, do you think I was the kind of guy who watched Disney movies by myself? Who said yes? Who was that? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> But I certainly did with her, and guess what? I loved them. They were amazing. <laughs> yep. You know, I also used to hate country music. Hated it. Now, I, I'm, all you country fans, it's fine. I actually like it now. But one day I heard my wife listening to this country song, and her and the kids were dancing to it. And so I thought, oh, she likes country. So because she liked country, I started listening to country and I grew a love and affection for country. I started buying country albums for her and trying to please this in her, right? Like I'm adopting her likes and I want to do this for her. I only found out two years later she doesn't like country. It was one song. <laughs> it was one song. But love is dumb. Sometimes it leads us to good things. Sometimes it leads us astray. But, but it leads us, it motivates us to action. Me and my wife, because of the, the past that we have, and you guys have heard our testimony, we've had to go through all sorts of struggles because of the foundation we started on. But it's been love for each other and love for Jesus that's motivated us to keep going through it. That makes it all worthwhile. You see, there's a third category on here, and that is sacrifice for the sake of love. I'm not saying it makes it easy, but it makes it possible, natural, and you know what? Worth it. That's the, that's the one I want you to really remember. Sacrifice for the sake of love, easy or hard, makes it worth it. It's worth it. There is something in you that, that feels like it's worth it. It's worth it to keep going. It's worth it to put in the extra effort. It's worth it to change. It's worth it to try again. It's worth it to get back up and keep going. Because you're compelled forward by the thing or person that you love. Obviously, it does not mean everything is easy. You know, even with Austin and Luella, young love, they're, they're young, they're getting married, and they're blinded by their passion for each other right now. 
And it's going to take work. Of course it's going to take work. But that love they have for each other is setting the stage. It's setting the foundation for that work to be possible and worth it. Now, if you don't work at it, though, that love can also grow cold, doesn't it? You can get distracted by good things, or you can just simply just not know. You can have ignorance. You can not know and not invest into that relationship. That love can grow cold. But in a marriage, fostering that love, we always just think, well, it's, you, know, you go through the honeymoon stage, and then, then comes the real work, and people talk about the ball and chain. Maybe we should change the way we look at that, and we should actually continue to invest in that first love. Continue to invest in the relationship, that passion for each other. And we might find that the hard stuff that comes later on in life is more possible and worth it than we thought. All right, if you'd ask, uh, you know, if, uh, I wish they were here, but they'll be at the 11. If I would ask Austin Lou right now about, you know, why they're getting married. So are you getting married? Like, which one is it? Like, are you just, you want to sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice? Or is it a reward? What's the reward? You know what they would tell me? Well, we know we are getting married for the reward, but the reward is each other. It's not some personal benefit. It's each other. They are the reward. There's a person. It's the object of their affection. So going back to where we started, our mission statement. Our mission statement is love God, love people, be disciples, make disciples. It is Matthew 28, Matthew 22. Great commission, great command. First love is the key to effective discipleship. And effective discipleship comes out of a burning heart. But first love is the key. First love. You might say, oh, I know this already. You need to hear it again. First love is the key to effective discipleship because that burning heart is the thing that's going to make it effective, and that's what drives it all. If we embrace the mission without embracing the person first, we're going to miss the entire point. And we'll lead people to the wrong destination. The mission is secondary. The sacrifice is secondary. It's, we often can focus so much on the doing, we forget about the person himself, the object of our desire, Jesus Christ. I've often said, love God equals obey God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that back, because I, I often present it in such a way, because it's true, but it's not the complete truth. I've, I've sometimes presented, I think, like a synonym, right? They mean the same thing. Love is the same as obedience. But they're not, because a synonym works both ways. And you can obey without any love. You can have zero love in your heart and you can obey. My kids can do that. I can get compliance and they can have zero desire to do it and zero desire to, to honor me or love me. But if you truly love someone, if you truly love someone, if you truly love God, you will obey him. And that's what he says here. In John 14, uh, 15, there it is. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Again, I know I've, I put that verse in there before, but we have to get that in our hearts. If, if that's not our experience, and I'm not saying all the time, we're going to go through hardships. There are valleys and mountaintops, and I'm not, I don't have time to get into that today. We'll talk about that later. There is. But even in the valleys, if, if we have the heart set on the right thing, even in the valleys, we're going to find that the struggle is worth it. We're going to find the desire to persevere and to endure, right? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So why is it then that so many Christians start fired up and then burn out? Right? We see sometimes the zeal. You ever see a new believer and they have just zeal inside? Like, they want to tell everyone about Jesus. As a young, I shouldn't say this, but you already know this about me anyhow. But as a drug dealer, I gave my life to Christ. I only stopped 
the drug part three, three months after I gave my life to Christ. So it took a, there was a process, okay? A process of moving forward, and I'm still actually on that process. I'm just far away from the drug dealing part. Um, thank God, amen? <laughs> but for the first three months, I continued to sell drugs. Do you know that I was witnessing to everyone that came in my door? <laughs> I later on maintained that I might have been the only Christian, real Christian drug dealer in town. <laughs> <laughs> It's a process. It was a process, but the, the behavior comes later, and it does, and it has to, it has to happen. There has to be obedience, but, but there was an affection. There was a love that happened first, and because that love was there, it drove me to share him. I actually lost half my, over half my clientele in, the, in that three months because I wouldn't keep my mouth shut about Jesus. This guy who met me and told me he knows everything I've done and loves me anyways, and I'm like, look what I'm doing. I'm still doing it. He loves me anyways, but he also loved me enough not to leave me there. But how many start there with that kind of zeal? And then five years, 10 years, 15 years later, there's just nothing left. There's no care inside when they see an unbeliever. Their heart doesn't break. They might have unbelieving kids, or maybe there's family members or friends or neighbors, but their heart doesn't feel broken for them. They're more concerned with maybe the things that are going on in their own lives and their own stress and their own anxiety that they're dealing with. And I'm not saying those things are bad to think about or to have. But I'm just saying the heart isn't breaking for others. It's breaking for their own circumstances. They're looking for an easier life. How many Christians don't engage in the mission given by Jesus at all? How many Christians feel like they're, they're always giving, and they are. They're working at the mission. They're working. They're working, they're working, they're working, but they never have anything left inside for themselves, and there's no joy. It's dry, it's empty, it's dead. How many others struggle with knowing that God loves them? And they're always trying to earn God's love, and you can kind of tell because if they're not, you know, reading their Bible enough, they're not praying enough, they're not doing, you know, Christian activity enough, then somehow God doesn't love them anymore and they feel isolated and alone. Why is this? And why did Jesus say his commandments aren't burdensome? Now, John 5, 39. I have 39 to 40 here, but that's not actually right. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Oh, I've talked to believers that are like that. They're doing, they're so full of Christian activity, but they don't know the person of Jesus Christ. And thus they feel empty on the inside. Now, I'm not saying this to condemn anyone in here, and I'm definitely not implying that it's every believer. Certainly not. But I do feel like God is calling us to first love. I, I feel like as we have been praying to be a church that is known for the great command and the great commission, I feel like he, like he needs to call us to first love. That first love, like a young bride and groom have for each other. where they almost can't even consider the cost of hardship because of their deep passion and affection for one another. You might say, I don't know how to feel that way. We'll, we'll talk about that, and I don't think you can work it up either. But we'll talk about that later, but God is calling us to first love. You know, um, I'll give you a bit of a personal story here, uh, and it's recent-ish, but 2019. So 2018, leading into the beginning of 2019, actually maybe it started in 2017, but I actually felt my heart kind of, well, I didn't feel my heart going cold. Now when I look at it, I can say my heart was going cold. 
I had anxiety building in my life and I was busy trying to kind of run from that and I was busy with kids, family and ministry and doing Christian activity and, right? Isn't that sometimes what we're about? Just Christian activity. We just got to do Christian activity and I just got to keep doing the right things. And by the way, I'm not saying that that's bad to sometimes just put your, you know, to, to just put the plow to the dirt and just go, right? Sometimes we have to just kind of go and do the right things. Hector would say work faster than the feelings, right? Right, brother? Amen, yeah. So sometimes there are times to do that, but, but my heart was actually growing cold and stale. And it wasn't the same, like, you know, God would still speak to me in here, but you ever get to those, those moments where, and maybe you're, you've always been there, but maybe, maybe you've gone back and forth like me, but you have those times when you're in the Word and it's alive and it's coming alive to you and you read one verse and it was happening to me again this morning and then I was getting distracted because I needed to finish the message and I wasn't done. But the Lord was distracting me in His Word in my devotional time and I felt like He was keeping me there and I wanted to be there and I was torn. Right? You know you have those times? And then you go back into message prep and you're listening to music and you're worshiping Him and your heart feels alive and it's close to Him and you're just like, the only thing you can think about on the message is, Lord, I just don't want them to hear me. I want them to be drawn into you. I want them to know you. I want them to feel what I feel. That they'd feel that fire inside that would give them hope to keep going in whatever circumstance they're going through. And it just burns. Well, that was gone in 2018. Still reading here, still journaling, <laughs> right? Journal pages was getting shorter. It was gone. In 2019, I was with a team from here. We went to BC, and I won't tell you the whole story, but long story short, we went with a team there to, to a conference, and it was at that conference that the Lord confronted me. And he confronted my heart. He gave me a choice. And he's, you know, I was actually standing. It's interesting. There's mountains over here, and there was uh, a little bit of forest, just a small little bit, and then a ravine it went to, right? And then I was by this campground where, this, where, the, where the whole event was, and there was this wide swath of green, lush grass that I was walking on. It was a very large path, right? And I was just walking on there, and suddenly I started thinking about Jesus talking about the narrow path and the wide path, right? You know, in, in Matthew 6, and he's talking about the narrow path, it's hard, that leads to life, and the, and the wide path, which leads to destruction. And I was just thinking about that, and I stopped. And suddenly as I stopped, I looked to my left, and there's this little narrow path going through the woods to the ravine. And there's literally, you know those barricades like this with the flashing light that say stop and danger? Like it's sitting there, and I'm standing there looking at it. There's actually a narrow path that says it's dangerous with the flashing light, stop, don't go. And, and then I'm looking at the wide swath of green grass. And I felt like the Lord was, was laying on my heart that I was walking on this green grass. I was trying to get the green grass and that I had lost my way. Not that I had fallen away and stopped doing Christian things. I was still doing all the right things, checking all the right boxes. But he gave me a choice. He said, which path are you going to take? And it's like he awakened something in me. He awakened that first love from years and years and years ago. And I said, Lord, like, of course, I'm going, to take the, I'm going to take the narrow path, the hard path. If that's where you are, that's the path I want. And with that, I physically actually walked down this path that said, danger, don't go, don't go down. Maybe I shouldn't have admitted that. Anyways, now, that's just a little circumstance like that, right? Little circumstance. Went back, days going on just like normal. We have these little decisions that we make every day that either lead us towards Jesus or that lead us away from him. By the way, the same thing happens in marriage. We have little choices every day that lead us towards growing intimacy or lead us away from growing intimacy. 
But it's little decisions, right? If they were always the big decisions, we would, we would usually know better than to make a bad one. But it's the little decisions on how you're investing your time and whether you're investing time into the relationship or just investing time on wasting time or maybe it's, you know, you're spending too much time on your phone. Anyways, the next morning I woke up and I was on my, I was going to start doing my devotions and there was this phone game that had just been consuming lots of my time when I was anxious. So I'd be anxious and I would just go waste time on a phone game. Is that immoral? No, thank you. <laughs> it's not immoral. Not immoral. It wasn't, wasn't an immoral game. I guess some of you might be thinking, well, was it a bad game? No, it wasn't a bad game. It was a Star Wars game. It was a fun game. But I looked at it and I'm like, oh, why am I, why am I wasting all this time on this game? And I just deleted it. And it was funny how just deleting that one little game, something sparked inside. And then I all of a sudden remembered, oh, I haven't actually just sang worship in a long time by myself to Jesus. And so I put on <laughs> Spotify on here and looked up some old worship songs that I hadn't sang in probably a couple of years. And I began to... S and I began to sing. And tears began to flow. And life came back in. And suddenly I remembered this love that I had before. And it didn't seem like activity, Christian activity anymore. And time kind of slipped away, and I'm not saying it always has to go this way, <laughs> but I ended up being late for meeting with my team. I spent hours with him. I lost track of all time. You know what that sounded like? You know what that reminds me of? When I first met my wife, when we would spend hours just watching Disney movies, and the time just flew by. Didn't even matter. Just the joy of being together is what I felt. First love. Now, what, whatever relationship we're talking about, you can get there and lose it. This is not something you arrive at. Many people start there and they lose it. Many people go back to it and they lose it. Just like in marriage, that love, that passion that we're talking about, takes work to steward. It does take work. It does. So uh, everything we do, though, in the Christian life is a response. So the important thing is this first love, though, is the base. It's the foundation, and it's critical. And it's critical because everything we do is supposed to come from there. Our doing is supposed to come as a response. We're not doing to earn. We're doing as a response. It's a response to love, right? Even on the, uh, on the great command, it's, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God, right? with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that, though, we cannot even do without first being loved. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. This is the cause, right? Remember I said love and obedience? They're not synonyms. It's cause and effect. Yeah, we love because he first. This is the cause. He loves us first. We respond to that love by loving him in return and obeying him. Cause and effect. It goes in order, and it's important that we get that order right. You can obey and have zero Zero love in your heart, but you cannot love and refuse to obey. There is an order. Jesus is jealous for your love and affection. Think about this. Uh, going back to the marriage example. Because sometimes we think, you know, if I just obey, you know, we, we focus on a future reward. Focus on heaven, right? Focus on heaven and focus on the benefits of following Jesus. I have presented the gospel that way many times. How do I convince this person that they need Jesus? Like, these are the benefits you get from Jesus. Can you imagine, because you know that our relationship with God is compared to betrothal and, and, and marriage in Scripture? That's the closest relationship. Can you imagine standing at the altar and the person that's going to marry you is marrying you simply for the benefits of marrying you? You have money, let's say, or you have something they want, so they're going to marry you for that. They're willing to put up with some of the sacrifice. 
and the covenant of marriage for the benefit, but they had no love for you? Is that something you would want? Would you want to marry someone like that? Jesus is jealous for our love and affection. Affection, church. He is jealous for your affection. He longs for it. That's what he wants. People that love him and that give him affection, worship. That's what he wants. Now, of course, is focusing on heaven a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> focusing on heaven is a good thing. But what are we focused on with our focus on heaven? Are we just focused on one day I won't experience any more pain and one day I'm going to be happy forever? Almost like we're thinking one day I'm going to be able to do whatever I want and not worry about anything bad happening? Or is the reason we focus on heaven because of the person of Jesus Christ? Because we long to see him with every part of our being. There is something in us. We long to be with the one we love. And right now, we're not, we're not married yet. We're in betrothal. We're waiting for that official wedding day. So, if all that drives you is a list of benefits and a futuristic reward, I will say that you will often find, if you aren't already, that your relationship with Jesus, your faith is unsatisfying and dry. That's why, right? That's why we start with the middle circle here on our discipleship wheel. It's coming up here. Remember we talked about this in September. We're going to keep going back to this as we go into, especially the, the next ministry year. But the center is Jesus. It's knowing him, loving him. You'll see it on the worship and obey him. Uh, but that's why we start in the middle. That is why the middle is so important. Often we can get ourselves so busy with Christian activity on the outside. We're just doing, 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 doing but we never stop to actually know the person of Jesus Christ ourselves. Or maybe we started there and we went out, which we should, but you never came back to the center. You never invested in that center to keep that fire stoked and to keep it going. If you're looking at that and wondering, are we going to go through all of that right now? No, we're not. <laughs> right now I'm just focusing on the middle. You can see it because we'll keep coming back to it, but we're not going to keep focusing on it. We start in the middle. We start with Jesus. He is the beginning and the end. He is the eternal one. Knowing him is the highest goal. All of the work we do, everything we do, is centered on knowing him. Knowing him is eternal life. That's what scripture teaches. This is eternal life. To know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. So this is why it's the key to effective discipleship, is a burning heart for Jesus, a heart that loves him. Right? And that is what we're doing when we're discipling others. Effective discipleship always leads people to Jesus. Of course, we teach them how to obey. That's all part of it as well, right? Absolutely. We teach them all that stuff from the outer ring. Those are all important. We're going to get to all of those as the series continues. We will. Those are all important. But the most important goal, we are leading them to the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to what that looks like in later, later on in the series. But for now, I just want to say, if we, start, if we don't start in the middle by addressing our hearts, we're setting ourselves up for burnout, legalism, disappointment, disillusionment, religion, or even worse. Matthew 7, Jesus says in here that uh, when we look at Matthew 7, I think I have it on there. Yeah, there it is. I know you're, uh, no, yeah, there it is. Oh, uh, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who obey. Then he goes on to say, though, that, but many will say, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons, performed miracles, and did many mighty works. And I will say, I never knew you. Depart from you, workers of lawlessness. 
So here we know obedience is important, but then he goes on to say, but it's not enough. It's not enough. We're saved by faith in Jesus. And he says what he wants the most is to know you. What he wants the most is to know you. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this too. Talks all about if you had faith to do this and you had all the wisdom and if you had all the powers and prophetic powers but you had not love, you have nothing. You gain nothing. If you give up your body to be burned, it says, but have not love, you gain nothing. But I want to I wrap this up because I want to do a practicum with you guys uh, in Revelations 2. And this one, I spent a lot, a lot of time here. And by the way, I'm not implying that any of us have abandoned our love, but I want you just to hear the, the, the importance of what's important to Jesus because I think we often can get, can get stuck on Christian activity without being focused on Jesus himself. And by the way, I'm, I'm saying that and you might resonate and you're wondering, well, how do we do it? We're gonna, this is a foundation message. We're going to get into that as we go forward in the series, right? Um, but, but we can get stuck on the Christian activity and take a look at what happened in the church of Ephesus. Oh, did I not put the whole thing up there? Oh, here it is. No? Oh, you know what I'll do? I don't have the whole thing, so I'm just going to read it to you out of here. Uh, there we go. There. Ah, my actual Bible. To the angel in the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, Oof. who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Now you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you have found them to be false. I know, you're enduring, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. Church, does that sound like a good list? Wouldn't you love for the Lord to be able to say that of you? I mean, that sounds about as good as it gets, I think. I know you're enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. But then he says, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. For if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. You say, that's one passage. It's not. 1 Corinthians 13 lines up with that. Matthew 7 lines up with that. There are many that line up with that. Knowing him is the highest goal. He wants people that love him and that long for him, that desire him. That's what he wants. Your works can't fix it. Your works can't get you there anyways. We get so stuck on the works. The works can't get us there anyhow. They're our response to the love that we have for him and our desire to give him glory. Just like in marriage, like I said, just like in marriage, our love can grow cold if we do not do the work of growing our love in our relationship. So whether you've never had a burning heart, you might be here and you've never had a burning heart. That could be you. And you, you don't even know what that's like. We're going to talk about how do we get that burning heart? How do we actually move forward? Maybe, maybe you're here and you've had that heart before. Maybe you were like me in 2019. Where it's just like, you know how it slowly just kind of starts going out? It's like a fire. You're having a campfire in the backyard or fire in the backyard. It's raging at first. And sometimes, you know, you're talking around there and you're busy kind of enjoying each other's company and you don't even notice the fire is really going out until it's just embers. Ever had that happen? That happens in our relationships often. We forget to stoke the flames. Jesus is calling you, he's calling me to first love. And I want you to remember he is faithful to stoke the flames. He is faithful to stoke the flames if you want him to. He is faithful to make himself known to you if you want him to. 
So we're going to spend a few moments. If you have a journal here, you can take that out. And we're going to spend a couple of moments doing this. I want you to do the first two questions. And then the second one, the third one is a commitment. You can see it'll be online. But that commitment set aside 60 minutes to meet with Jesus, when and where. And then what you'll be doing is this. If you want, this is an if you want. And this is not to add to your to-do list either. It's not a to-do list. If you're here and you're saying, I want to stoke that flame. I want to stoke that fire. Jesus, I want to know you. Here's a suggestion. You might say, there's a lot of things on there. I know. That's why it's 60 minutes. Singing is on there. You have to sing by yourself. It's okay how you sound. It doesn't matter. Church, let's do this together. Lord, right now as we come to you, I ask that you would stir in us because we cannot even get to the place of desiring you without first responding. Everything is a response to you. Oh, Jesus, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us now. Would you put a hunger in us? For those that don't know you, would you put a hunger for your name inside our hearts, inside their hearts? I'll give you a minute just to jot down your answers to one and two. all the time I'm going to give you now, but just a short prayer. You can do this in unison if you'd like. But if you're sitting here and you're saying, I want to know you more, Lord. I actually want, I want that fire. It's gone cold. It's just embers. Lord, I want to stoke those flames again for you. If that's your heart, if you want to know him, maybe you want to know him for the first time, then uh, actually I'll just lead you in prayer on this one. Lord, then pray along with me in your heart. Lord, today, whatever our circumstances are, whatever's going on in our lives, we tell you that we want to know you more. We want to know you, the person, Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't just want to know, we don't want to know a, a comfortable Jesus, one that fits within our lives. We, we actually want to see you and know you for who you are. We want to know everything there is to know about you. We want to know what drives you. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know what you're passionate about. We want to know, Lord, the things that you hate so that we can steer clear of them in our own lives. We want to know the things that you love so that we can engage our lives in those things. We want that fire back. We want that intimacy. Lord, some in here are feeling so much stress and anxiety and busyness. 
Lord, even the thought of setting aside 60 minutes is hard. Today I'm asking, Lord, that you would provide that space. For those that are saying yes to you, but, but feel that impossible weight of taking the next step, I ask, Lord, uh, that you would do what you said in the Psalms, that you reach down and you picked us up from the mud and the mire. You actually are willing to come down into our mess and pick us up if we ask. Lord, would you reach down into the mud and the mire? Would you lift us up and set their feet this week on solid ground, the solid ground of who you are? We ask this in Jesus' name.